Hello. Welcome to the legends of King Arthur and his knights. Chapter 5. Four Beheadings and a Funeral. With the help of King Ban and King Bors, Arthur had defeated his enemies. The eleven kings were still alive, but they had lost most of their men and didn't pose any threat. At least, not for now. King Arthur was in a great position. The land of Britain was at peace and he had a large number of fine knights at his disposal. The king decided he needed to use his knights to conquer other countries. First he went to Ireland and took control of the lands there. Then he went to Iceland and conquered that country too. The next year he beheaded King Rickulf and conquered Norway. Finally Arthur and his men travelled to Gaul and defeated the Roman governor. Weary from two years of conquering, King Arthur returned home. When he got there, he received a strange and worrying visitor. A messenger had arrived from the court of King Ryance of North Wales. The messenger declared that King Ryance had defeated eleven kings in battle and had forced each one of them to cut off his beard. Eleven beards decorated his mantelpiece, but there was one space left. King Ryance was demanding that Arthur pay homage to him and give him his beard. Otherwise, he would enter Arthur's court, kill everyone and burn everything to the ground. Arthur, fresh from his many foreign victories, told the messenger to hurry back to North Wales and tell King Ryance there was no deal. Arthur vowed to tackle the king very soon. Not long later, another messenger arrived, this time one of Arthur's own. He told the court that King Ryance was indeed marching towards them, along with a very large number of heavily armed men. Arthur and his barons travelled to Camelot and prepared to make war on the king. Before they had the chance, though, some very strange things started to happen. A young woman strode into the court at Camelot. She carried with her a sword in a sheath. The knights and barons looked at her quizzically and waited to see what she wanted. Lords and knights of Britain, she said, this sword is the cause of terrible sorrow and distress. Nothing can get any better for me until somebody can remove the sword from its sheath. Only a knight who has not committed any villainous or treacherous acts and is good to the depths of his heart will be able to remove it. I have been to the court of King Ryance and none of his knights could do it. So here I am at your court, King Arthur, to see any if, if any of your knights are worthy. King Arthur welcomed the young woman and took hold of the sword. Gently, and then much more firmly, he pulled. No matter how hard he tried, he could not draw the sword from its sheath and neither could any of his knights. The woman, very sadly, took the sword and began to walk from the castle. On her way out, she was stopped by a man in poor clothing. The man rested his hand on the lady's arm and spoke. I may look like a poor man, but I am a knight. My name is Sir Balin the Savage, and I am a knight from Northumberland. I have just been released from King Arthur's prison after it was proved I was innocent of the crime. Let me try to take the sword. The young woman looked doubtfully at the poor knight, but realising she really didn't have anything to lose, she handed the sword to him. Carefully he took it. Even more carefully he weighed it in his hand, and then took hold of the sword handle with one hand and held the sheath with the other. Slowly and deliberately he pulled on the handle, and very easily drew the sword from its sheath. He smiled a very broad smile and held the sword above his head in triumph. Sir Balin the Savage had gone from zero to hero in the space of a few seconds. Little did he know he was on his way back to zero almost as quickly. The young woman looked in awe at Sir Balin. Thank you, worthy knight, she said. 
Please give me back the sword, and all will be well. I don't think so, replied Sir Balin jauntily. This is a very fine sword, and I'm going to keep it. Sir Knight, you will regret that decision. It is my sword, and you should return it to me. If you don't, then with it you will slay the person in the world you love the most. I'll take that chance, said Sir Balin, and with that he prepared to ride out adventuring. Arthur asked him to stay for a while in Camelot and eat and drink with his knights. Balin, though, was keen to get going. He thanked King Arthur, but refused. Arthur told him he was always welcome in Camelot. While Sir Balin was getting ready for his travels, another visitor arrived in Camelot, this time on a magnificent horse. It was a lady, and she entered the castle and appeared before King Arthur and his lords and knights. This time Arthur knew his visitor. This time he knew what she might have come for. The visitor was the Lady of the Lake. It was she who had given Arthur his sword, Excalibur. She had demanded that Arthur give her whatever she might ask for in return. The Lady of the Lake had come to collect. Arthur, she announced, I am here to collect my gift. I want the head of that knight who has just drawn the sword from the sheath, or that of the lady who brought it here. The knight killed my brother, and the woman caused the death of my father. I cannot give you these things, said Arthur. Please ask for something else. The Lady of the Lake replied that she did not want anything else and demanded her gifts again. It was developing into a very sticky situation from which there seemed no escape. Everyone looked around at each other, wondering what was going to happen next. What happened next was that Sir Balin, prepared and ready for adventure, came into the hall in order to say goodbye to Arthur. He saw the Lady of the Lake, and his face contorted with rage. "'You evil witch!' he raged. "'You killed my mother. You are the foulest and most disgraceful woman in all of Britain.' With that, he drew his sword, walked purposefully towards the Lady of the Lake, and sliced off her head. King Arthur was horrified. "'No matter what this lady has done to you,' he reproached Balin, "'you should not have killed her in front of me in this hall. "'She gave me my sword, and I was in her debt.' Leave here, Sir Balin, you are banished from my court. Zero to hero, hero to zero. Sir Balin the Savage picked up the head of the Lady of the Lake and rode out from Camelot sadly, determined to get back into King Arthur's good books somehow. As he was leaving, he had an idea. He leaned over to his squire and told him they were going to take on King Ryance of North Wales. Maybe if he defeated the rebel king, Arthur would forgive him for chopping off the Lady of the Lake's head. It was certainly worth a try. Pleased with his decision, Sir Balin the Savage sent the head of the lady up to Northumberland so that his family would know he had avenged his mother. Then he rode off towards Wales. Back in Camelot, a knight stepped forward and approached King Arthur. The knight was called Sir Lancia and he was the son of the King of Ireland. He asked his king if he could ride after Balin and challenge him to a fight. Arthur, who was very cross with Sir Balin, agreed that he could go. Sir Lancior armed himself and rode off to find the poor knight. Sir Balin hadn't got far, and Sir Lancior caught up with him quickly. Wait, he yelled. Wait, or I'll make you wait. Sir Balin turned round. He hadn't got time for some irritating knight to hold him up, so he immediately challenged Lancia to a joust. This is exactly what the son of the King of Ireland had come for, and he readily agreed. The two men took their spears, mounted their horses, and withdrew from each other. When they had gone far enough, they both turned round, raised their spears, and urged their horses forward. 
few seconds later, two spears each struck a shield. Both horses were galloping at full speed by the time they met, and the crack of spear against shield was deafening. Sir Balin's shield quivered and shook at the force of the blow from Lancia's spear. The spear splintered. Sir Balin drew his sword and readied himself for more combat. As he turned to fight, though, he realised he wouldn't have to. Sir Lancia lay dead on the ground, Sir Balin's spear having made a huge hole in his shield, gone straight through and pierced his body. Balin was considering whether to waste time burying the dead knight when he heard the sound of horses' hooves. He looked up and saw a young woman approaching. She was called Colom, and she was the love of Sir Lancia. When she realised she was too late to save Lancia, she threw herself on the ground and wept. When she picked herself up, she stared at Balin. You have slain two people today, she wept, and then picked up Lancia's sword. With surprising strength, she buried the handle into the ground. With one last glance at her dead man, she threw herself onto the point of the sword. Balin, deciding he certainly didn't have time to bury two people, rode off into a large forest towards King Ryans. In the forest, Sir Balin had the most wonderful surprise. Riding towards him was another knight. Balin recognised the coat of arms on his shield immediately. It was his brother, Balan. Delighted to see each other, the two men took off their helmets and hugged. Balin told his brother all about the Lady of the Lake, being banished from Camelot, the death of Sir Lancia and his lady, and, of course, his quest to take on King Ryance. Sir Balan agreed to help his brother, and they made to ride off towards a castle called Castle Terrible, which Balan had heard King Ryance was besieging. As they were about to ride off, King Mark of Cornwall rode into the forest. Soon he came upon the bodies of Sir Lancio and Colom, and he had them buried and erected a tombstone for them. As he was finishing, Merlin arrived. Looking at the tomb, the wizard frowned. In this very place in many years' time, there will be a battle between two knights, which will be the greatest battle between two knights the world ever saw. They will be two of the greatest knights, and they will battle long and hard. Neither, though, will be killed. I will write their names on this tombstone. Busily Merlin began to write. When he had finished, he walked off to find Sir Balin. King Mark looked down at the stone. On it were written two names. And what do you think those names were? It's not too hard to guess. One was Sir Lancelot, and the other was Sir Tristram. Merlin and King Mark caught up with Sir Balin and Sir Balan. You have done a foul deed today, said Merlin to Balin. You allowed a lady to die and did not try to save her. Because you have done this, the future will be bleak. You will strike a blow which will be the most terrible that any man ever struck, except the spear blow which pierced the side of our Lord Jesus. You will hurt one of the truest of all knights, and he will not recover for many years. This will cause the destruction of three kingdoms. Having said his piece, Merlin vanished into thin air. Poor old Balin had just about had enough of terrible omens and rode off in the direction of Castle Terrible with his brother. Just as they were departing, King Mark stopped them. Before you go, he said, tell me your name. Sir Balin drew his own sword and then the one which he had drawn from the sheath. He held one in each hand and looked King Mark in the eye. It was Balan who spoke. You may call him the Knight with the Two Swords, he said. King Mark nodded, mounted his horse and rode off towards Camelot. Balin and Balan then galloped towards Castle Terrible. 
Not long later, Merlin appeared to the brothers again. He led them to a wood by a highway and told them to dismount, rest their horses and hide until midnight. Tonight, he said, King Ryance will ride by here with only sixty lancers as an escort. There are only two of you, but this is your best chance to beat him. Merlin, of course, was absolutely right. Around midnight, Sir Balin and Sir Balan heard the sound of horses. Along the highway came King Ryance and his sixty knights. At exactly the right moment, the brother knights leapt from the forest and set upon King Ryance. Their blows were fast and accurate, and King Ryance was knocked from his horse to the ground. Before the sixty knights had time to react, Balin and Balan had set upon them. They killed forty, and the rest fled. King Ryance, still on the ground, begged for his life. Sir Balin the Savage raised his sword, and was about to kill the king, when he had a better idea. He heard King Ryance telling them that he may gain something from letting him live. Balin thought about what he most wanted, and then made up his mind. He and his brother packed King Ryance onto a horse and led him back to Camelot. When they got there, they delivered him to a porter and told the servant to take the king to King Arthur. Arthur smiled when he saw King Ryance. So, my beard is safe then, he said to the king. But tell me, who was it that defeated you and delivered you to my castle? King Ryance sighed. I was defeated by the knight with the two swords and his valiant brother. I don't know these knights, said Arthur, puzzled. Then I shall tell you, said Merlin. The knight with the two swords is none other than Sir Balin, recently banished from your court. The other is his brother, Sir Balan. It is a great shame. Balin is a great and worthy knight, but he will not live much longer. Indeed it is sad, replied King Arthur. I have not deserved the great deed he has done for me. My lord, answered Merlin, he's done much for you, but he will do much more. But for now, it is time for you to prepare for battle. King Nero, brother of King Ryance, is on his way here, and will try to free him from your jail. Arthur and his knights wasted no time preparing, and were soon on their way. The battle took place in front of the castle Terrible. King Nero was supported by King Lot, but Merlin took the King of Orkney out of the battle by telling him prophecies. King Arthur killed twenty knights and maimed forty others. Sir Kay fought valiantly and fiercely all day, but the best fighters were the two brother knights, the knight with the two swords, and his brother Balan. They killed so many of the enemy knights that Arthur commented they were the best and most skilled knights he had ever seen. Merlin, his work done, left King Lot. He knew that all would have been lost for Camelot and Arthur if the King of Orkney had been on the battlefield. As Merlin walked away from Lot, a messenger arrived at the King of Orkney's side and told him that King Nero had been beheaded and the battle was already lost. Lot, very ashamed, sought advice from his knights. Together they all agreed they must launch a last attack. Either they would defeat King Arthur or they would themselves be killed. The battle began. King Lot showed himself to be a brave and worthy fighter. He led from the front, killing many of Arthur's men. On the other side, it was Sir Balin and Balan who led the struggle. They slew a large number of King Lot's men, but it was not they who killed King Lot himself. Fighting on the side of King Arthur was a knight we have met before. In fact, he wasn't just a knight, he was a king. King Pellinore, who had stolen Arthur's horse while questing for the strange beast, launched himself at King Lot. He swung his sword at Lot's head, but missed, instead hitting Lot's horse. 
It was such a mighty stroke that it cut the horse's head clean off. The horse, rather unsurprisingly, fell to the ground, and King Lot fell with it. Pelinor, seeing his advantage, swung his sword again. He hit the King of Orkney on his head. The blow cut through the helmet, and the sword buried itself in King Lot's brain. King Lot died there and then, and the rest of his army fled, never to cause King Arthur any trouble again. A total of twelve kings were killed that day, and resistance to Arthur in Britain was over. King Arthur, though, had mixed feelings about his victory. King Lot had long been an enemy, but he had previously been a friend. He had fought bravely for his father Uther, and was married to his half-sister, with whom he had five sons. Arthur held a great funeral for the twelve kings. He gave King Lot's grade the pride of place among their tombs. Many people travelled from all over Britain for the funerals of the twelve kings. King Urians came along with his wife Morgan le Fay. Also there, of course, was the wife of King Lot, Arthur's sister Morgors. Morgors's children also wanted to say goodbye to their father. The youngest son, whose name was Mordred, was still a baby and he was left at home, but the others travelled to the funeral. Gawain, Agravain, Geheris and little Gareth watched as their father was buried. The eldest son, Gawain, only a teenager but already skilled in the arts of battle, vowed he would not rest until he had avenged himself upon King Pellinor, his father's killer. It would take some time, but in the end, Gawain would have his revenge. Next week, we will learn a little bit more about Gawain and hear the end of the story of Sir Balin and his brother, Balan. Until then, have a great week, and I'll speak to you next time.